Welcome back to the Golf Club. Randy Merkin with you. Golf Club brought to you by Tito's Handmade Vodka, America's Original Craft Vodka. Visit them today at titosvodka.com. And it's my pleasure to welcome in one of the best golf writers in the country, Bob Herrick from ESPN.com. Bob, how are you? Good, Randy. How's it going? Uh, it's going well. Boy, there's, there's a lot to get to. I, I actually, last night, Bob, I wrote a list of stuff I wanted to talk to you about because I didn't want to forget anything. Um, <laughs> but let's, let's start off with the craziness of Saturday after the round is done at the Memorial. John Rahm has a commanding six-stroke lead. He had just won the event last year. It's looking good. And then we find out with him on national television that he has COVID and he cannot finish uh, his championship, the Memorial again. What, what was your thoughts on how it was handled, first of all? Well, first, uh, I'm having a hard time thinking of any anything in sports that's been that uh, COVID-related dramatic in the last year. I mean, I, I can't think of a team that was cost a championship or, you know, or a player that was cost a tournament uh, at that point. You know, right. I mean, the, the closest thing I would think would be something in the NCAA tournament, maybe. Um, but I'm, I'm n- nothing to that effect. You know, that that would affect a team that knocked. Yeah, out. I mean, that's a good point. Duke got kicked out. Right. You know, couldn't couldn't play in the ACC tournament and basically was done. Right. Um, there, there are examples, I guess. Um, I don't know if they were going to win a national championship. Right. Right. But, but you know, in this case, the guy had a six-shot lead in a prominent tournament. And it's looking pretty good, and he gets pulled. Um, the way it was handled was awkward, um, but I don't know what else they could have done. Uh, it's they, they maybe could have waited for him to come a little bit farther off the green and get into that tunnel. But you know, the guy wasn't allowed in in the clubhouse or inside all week. Couldn't go to the locker room. Couldn't go to player dining. And so they weren't going to let him inside, like to tell him inside. You know, so. I, I'm not sure. Like they were caught in a tough spot. I mean, they had just gotten that second test when he finished, or when he was about to finish, and I think they just wanted to keep him from getting, in, you know, getting near anybody else possibly. Uh, and so that's why it was awkward. I mean, like it played right out there on live TV like that, and it was pretty. It was a pretty tough scene. Hey, Bob, are most golfers, are most PGA golfers, are they vaccinated right now? Because I saw. I thought I heard uh, heard someone say that a lot of the players say they're they're not getting vaccinated. Or w- where do things stand with that? Well, the tour told us just over fifty percent. So I would take that to mean fifty skeptics among them. Uh, you know, Rom lives in Arizona. Um, it it opened to all adults uh, in Arizona late April. Uh, so he had more than enough time to be vaccinated by now, fully vaccinated. Apparently, he, you know, the tournament, the Memorial was offering the, the, the J&J to anybody who, sh- who wanted it, uh, spectators, players, anybody. And he apparently took that shot last week. So, you know, at least he's on board with getting it. But had he been fully vaccinated, he wouldn't have had to go through any of that testing at all. He wouldn't, it, it, would have never even, it would have never even come up. And, um, you know, obviously he was asymptomatic. He shot 65 in the second round, 64 in the third round. The guy's playing great. He had no, he had no physical issues whatsoever. Uh, and, um, you know, to have that happen is incredibly unfortunate. You know, and uh, with what you're saying, that just over 50% of the players are vaccinated, this, this could certainly happen again. You know, you hope it's kind of a, um, a wake-up call to some of them. 
when the tour announced in April that they were going to uh, stop testing any players who were fully vaccinated, I think a lot of us thought that that was a great carrot to dangle out there for them to get the vaccine because the testing, you know, let's be honest, nobody likes doing that. And, and then obviously if you're positive, you can't play. It, it affects your livelihood for these guys. And so, in fact, you know, you're, in, unless you can, sh- unless you're asymptomatic and can show uh, two days in a row of, uh, of a negative test, they sit you down for 10 days. So it can possibly impact the next event uh, as well. And so, uh, you know, there was a big thought that a lot of guys would get vaccinated so they wouldn't have to go through this every week. And the tour at first had said they were going to stop the testing in June and require guys to get tested on their own. And then they reconsidered and pushed that back through September, which I think was a bad move because if you really are, and you know, they've got these education programs and everything. If you really want these guys to get vaccinated, you know, then don't have them test on their own, have them pay for it themselves. They've had plenty of time now. And, uh, they, but they sort of, uh, they gave in and decided we're going to keep our testing program going through September. And I think that, uh, allowed a lot of guys to put off the decision. Uh, so Bob, does John Rahm, he, he can't participate in practice rounds until Wednesday. Is that correct? Because of, uh, because of his, uh, what, quarantining right now? Yeah, I mean, I think in theory he would get out of it next Tuesday morning. And, you know, he could, he could fly to San Diego and be on the course that afternoon. Um, unless he has two negative tests, you know, and I'm, uh, you can almost be assured that, that he's going to get a test every day and hope that they come back negative. They haven't, they haven't said anything. His people haven't said anything. You know, it's possible now at this point in the week he's already done that. I mean, there, there's, there's, you'd like to think that, that maybe um, it, it won't show up anymore, you know, late this week, later this week, and he could, and he could go home. Uh, but without that, no, he's required to be there for 10 days, and, um, and that would mean Tuesday of U.S. Open week, the 15th. Uh, and yeah, and, and, you know, if he's, if he's not able to get out, he's not practicing, he's not working out properly. And so it affects his uh, preparation for, uh, you know, for a big tournament. We're visiting with Bob Herrick from ESPN, all brought to you by Tito's Handmade Vodka. And Bob, um, there's, uh, Patrick Cantley wins his second Memorial. Congratulations to him. And I guess kudos to him because what a weird scene to be down by six. And then all of a sudden, I think he was tied or one stroke off the lead going into the final round. So uh, the Memorial is done and Patrick Cantley wins it. I want to ask you a- another question about something that's going on right now on the tour. And it's really strange because some people are saying that it's kind of a made-up fight for that social media thing that they're giving out the money at the end of the year. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka, do they really not like each other or, or are we being uh, all had right now by these two? It could be both. Okay. Um, certainly. I mean, I don't think they like each other. That goes back way before this player incentive program came about. Um, you could see this, this latest thing, this bonus money that is going to be paid out for guys who, quote, move the needle based on these various metrics that they're going to use that have nothing to do with shooting good scores. Right. 
Um, you know, it's a lot of money, $40 million divided up to 10 guys, $8 million to the top guy. You could see them possibly trying to uh, use this to take advantage of it because they're, you know, it, this, this puts their names out there a lot more. Uh, I would say, though, that Kepka and DeChambeau would be in the mix for that regardless. But uh, their feud goes back a couple of years. Um, in, in the moment on that leaked video, I don't think Brooks was thinking about that. You know, he's in the, in the middle of playing the PJ Championship. He's just come off the course. He's not too happy with his own play. And he sees DeChambeau talking about something or complaining or whatever. And, you know, we saw the video where he rolled his eyes and that what led to all this. So um, I don't think that part of it is made up, but it's quite possible that they could, they could embellish it going forward to take advantage of it. The, does the fight go back? I remember, wasn't, were they playing together and, and Bryson DeChambeau was playing so slowly and Kepka is like Dustin Johnson where he basically just gets up and hits, right? He doesn't, you know, and, and I, th- I thought there was a thing where DeChambeau kept going up to the green and, and marking things off and they were, he was getting really upset. Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm thinking of something Yeah, else. and I don't even think they were in the same group. Okay. They, but it just, you know, the, the word got out. I mean, right. DeChambeau's slow. It takes a lot of time. You know, he's, he's very calculating, you know, the scientist taking into effect all the wind, you know, he used to, uh, uh, the, <laughs> there's, there's all kinds of tools that he uses, you know, he's looking at his, at his green reading book a lot. Um, and Kepka just, you know, takes, gets the number, decides on the club, takes a practice swing and goes, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't be any more different in that. And, Slow players are always going to bother fast players because um, the slow player isn't, you know, they, they don't really, aren't really bothered by a fast player. It doesn't change their routine. But a fast player who has to wait and has to sit through all that, it just gets on their nerves sometimes. And Kepka's one of those guys, you know, he's, he, and, and the game is slow to begin with, and there's there's other issues about it. You know, Kepka's not or uh, DeChambeau's not the only one. Um, and to be honest, if he's if, even if he's sped up, that doesn't mean the guys aren't going to wait. Um, there's field size issues and all kinds of things that lead to slow play. But uh, you can see where it would get under a guy's skin. That's for sure. Absolutely. Uh, Bob, I've been talking to you since uh, Phil pulled off one of the greatest accomplishments in golf history and maybe – in sports history when he wins the PGA. Uh, what was your reaction, first of all, and does he have a legitimate shot at Torrey Pines? Yeah, I think, it. you know, we run the risk of it being understated. You know, right. a 50-year-old guy winning a major, um, you know, it's he's the oldest ever to do it. And I, I believe there's only been five or six who've won him over the age of 45 for all the talk about fitness and guys being able to play into their forties and, and, and technology, you know, the numbers just don't support it. Now the last, the oldest major champion before Phil was Julius Boros, who was 48 in 1968. Mm. You know, he beat Arnold Palmer by a shot at the PJ championship that year. And since that time, um, you know, the next oldest player to win a major was Nicholas at the Masters in 86. And, you know, the theory back then was that 46 was old. 
you know, Jack doing that was an incredible feat at 46. 46 was like 56 now. Right. right. You know, and so I think in a little, in a little way, because Phil has been so kind of active and still relevant, uh, you know, he had won, you know, for, he, he had, he won in 2019, but he hadn't been that competitive. I mean, I was sort of a little bit like Jack. Jack won in 1984, um, but hadn't been all that competitive uh, leading into that Masters. Uh, so I think it runs the risk of being understated, but it's, it's an amazing achievement. He has Kepka breathing down his neck, who's won four majors and can tie him with five. Um, it's, it's um, you know, Jack might have had more top players around him that day. Uh, but what Phil did, given his, given his recent record, is really remarkable. And now it pushes him up a, another notch. You know, he's got 45 wins, six majors. He breaks a logjam of guys at five, including like Seve and Byron Nelson. He joins Faldo and, and uh, Lee Trevino. And he's got a lot more overall wins than Trevino and Faldo. Um, you know, he's sort of, if he's not top 10 all time, he's certainly in the discussion now. Uh, I come more questions before we get out of here. First of all, golf needed that because uh, Phil and Tiger, Tiger moves the needle more than anyone, maybe in sports. But, you know, on the PGA Tour, God love him, and I'm a huge fan, but, you know, guys like Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Kepka, they're, they're fine, but they don't move the needle like Phil does. I mean, Phil, you're telling me, I'm telling you, everyone was glued to their TVs, and the ratings showed it on Sunday afternoon to watch Phil win. So, uh, that was a huge, huge win, not only for Phil, but for I think for the tour as well. Uh, you wrote a great piece on Ricky Fowler, who uh, who's starting to play a little better, but he won't be in the U.S. Open this year. How heartbreaking is it for Ricky? Well, especially when he came one one shot short of a playoff in the qualifier that he was in. Um, you know, and he's played decently the last couple times. He was eighth at the PGA, he was eleventh at the Memorial. He got off to a slow start in that qualifier in Columbus. And, uh, you know, needed one more birdie down the stretch. He, he actually missed a 15-footer for Eagle, had a birdie. He missed a 12-footer on 17. He nearly chipped in on 18. And that ended up being one, one too, too many. Uh, so, yeah, it's a shame. I mean, he, he's really gone into a deep slump. He was well outside the top 100 in the world. Now he's, now he's like 83rd. He's moved up a little bit. Uh, but... He needs to get to where, you know, these things are not a question anymore. You know, he's auto, he's automatically in. And basically, he was automatically in all the majors for 10 years. You know, it wasn't that long ago that he was fourth in the world. Right. You know, so um, it's, that's missing two majors this year, but he seems to have a good attitude about it. And uh, I think the fact that he's played decently here gives him some hope. Yeah, and he does. I think he does more commercials right now than any PGA golfer. Every time you turn <laughs> yeah, around, yeah, he's, he's pretty on, popular for he, that. He's on another. Yeah, commercial. And he's taken some stick for that too, you right. know. But, but um, you know, on the other hand, I, I, I'm not sure that that's the reason he was in the slump. Um, you know, he, he was trying to make some changes. He, he changed swing coaches. He probably took three or four steps backward, and and has had to slowly, you know, work his way back to get get through it. And his putting sort of left him. Which is you know, he admitted, on. he said, look, while I'm, I'm working on my swing changes, all of a sudden I'm not making putts anymore. And uh, that's a pretty deadly combination. Uh, real quickly, a couple of questions before I get uh, just quick thoughts on U.S. Open. Uh, Ryder Cup, 
does Phil have a legitimate chance? Does Stuart Sink have a legitimate chance to be captain's picks? I know he gets six, right, Steve Stricker? Correct. Yeah, he does get six. You know, I really think it depends on how, how guys are playing in August. Um, you know, I, I think they if you get caught up too much in the results now, that's a bad idea. They need guys who've been playing well then. I think there's a lot of value to Stuart Sink. He's got experience. He's pretty calm, level-headed. Um, he, he'd be a good, a good partner to some guys. But, like, he's not a guy that you're going to have go out there and play all five matches. I mean, if you're looking for that, then you probably want to want to pick one of the younger guys. Um, and, you know, they've got a solid group of guys that are going to be there no matter what. Dustin Johnson, um, uh, Justin Thomas, jo- jo- well, uh, are, are, you know, DeChambeau, you know, probably Spieth, mm-hmm. uh you know, there's, you know, a good Xander Shoffley. Right. Those guys are like, are there, you know, but uh, so, so then with six picks, you have a chance to go outside the box a little bit and you, you want to look beyond the guys who earn their points early, you know, sink won a tournament in September that that isn't going to matter much come this September if he's not playing well. So uh He's going to have some hard calls. Well, there's a lot of guys up there. I mean, is Phil in the mix now? Uh, you know, Kevin Kisner won the match play. Uh, you know, he's, we haven't heard much from him lately. Uh, you've got, you know, what, got Jason Kokrak, who just won, who hits it a long way. Uh, you know, he's never played in a Ryder Cup. Do you think about him? There's, there's a lot of guys that they can pick, and I don't think anybody is, like, clear-cut. And uh, is Patrick Reed a pick? Given all of the dissension right. that he's caused, right? He's been a great Ryder Cup player, yes. mostly fantastic. Yeah, uh, Bob, uh, with three months, or I think we're three months away, Ryder Cup, maybe a little longer. Do you think there's any chance we see Tiger as an assistant uh, captain? I know how, he, how close he is with Steve Stricker. I do. I I, I think that's a, a a good possibility that that's where Tiger comes back in public. Um, unless you know, unless there's something going on where you know, he is just uncomfortable being in the public, you know, right. like I, I could see a scenario where, you know, if he's not able to walk on his own, look, they can ride around in a cart as an assistant captain, but there's going to be some walking. If he's not able to do that, you know, to a level that he's satisfied with, I could see him not. Uh, but he's clearly involved anyway. You know, he talks to Stricker all the time behind the scenes. He will be involved. Um, but it would be great to have him part of it uh, because I think the players would love it. Right. You know, they, lo- they love being around him. Mm-hmm. Uh, they love the sort of the banter. Yep. And, and, and I'm guessing they will have some sort of a pod system that they've used here lately, and Tiger would head up one of those. And so he'd get very close to four guys, and, and they'd be, you know, he'd sort of be their coach for the week. So uh, I could definitely see where Stricker would want him, and I think Tiger would love to do it, but only if it's, you know, because, you know if he feels comfortable being seen in, in public. He's going to have to, you know, be part of a news conference. He'd, he'd have to answer questions for the first time. Um, you know, he, he might just say, I don't want to be a distraction. Right. Good call. Uh, so I think that's what, that's what stands in the way of it. Uh, Tiger, of course, won the last time the U.S. Open was at Torrey Pines, I believe, in 2008. 
against one of the great uh, championships. It was the U.S. Open. Uh, it was 18-hole playoff against Rocco Mediate. Actually, I think it went 19 holes. Uh, who, who does this course favor this time around, Bob, for, uh, for the U.S. Open? I think it favors this, the same type of situation where somebody who, um, look, Tiger didn't have it all that week, but he certainly had a lot of guts to, to get it around. I mean, Tiger, <laughs> I, I think what, what he did that week was the, was the aberration. You don't win a U.S. Open making four double bogeys like he did. Um, he bogeyed the first hole three of the four days. Mm-hmm. I double bogeyed it, I'm sorry. Uh, that just doesn't happen. Um, you know, he also made some incredible eagles, some long putts. He chipped in. Um, there was a lot that went right for him, too. But Tory's going to be a lot different than it is in January. It's going to be firm. It doesn't rain there that time of year. The rough will be deep. The greens will be hard. You know, I, I think it's, it's somewhat playable out of the rough, but not easy, not controllable. So, you know, it's, it's their typical... U.S. Open guy is someone who does it all, gets it in the fairway, is is good at managing his game when he doesn't, is good around the greens. You're, you're going to miss a lot of greens. You know, you're not going to hit 16 greens around. You're probably going to hit 12. Can you get it up and down? Can you make those five and six footers to save par? Um, it's not always about making birdies. It's about saving par. You know, so they they want they want the whole game, the whole package. You know, a lot of tour events, it's it's bombing it out there and getting it on the green and making a lot of putts. That's, that's not so much the case at the U S open one under played off in 08. I, I, I would think it might be a little lower, but probably only a couple of guys, four or five, six guys under par for the week. That's usually what they want. And, and they have the ability to make that happen because it's unlikely that they're going to get a golf course that's saturated by rain. Uh, Bob, before I let you go, real quickly, uh, uh, do you mind if I ask you an LPGA question? Sure. Okay. Uh, I was uh, at my son's baseball tournament over the weekend, and I was looking at, and I saw Lexi Thompson had a five-stroke lead, and I'm like, oh, well, she'll finish that off. She didn't. Uh, And I was kind of surprised for someone who's won majors, who's been there before, her performance on, like, 16, 17, and 18, especially 7 and 18, her putts, she left them both uh, way short. And uh, I, I, not a lot has been made of the fact of she let a five-stroke lead basically in nine holes go. Uh, what were your thoughts on, on how she finished that, uh, that tournament? Well, one thing is, is that's why we, we shouldn't automatically think that Rom was going to win. Right. You know, right. You, you, it, it, it happens. Leads get squandered. I mean, she had a five-shot lead with nine holes to play. In fact, that golf course has sort of been that way. Arnold Palmer had a seven-shot lead with nine holes to play at a U.S. Open and got tied and lost in a playoff at at Olympic. Um, Yeah, look, your point, she left those putts short. How do you leave it short on 18? Right, you do or die. It doesn't matter if you knock it by at this point. You don't really care about second or third. Um, And, look, Johnny Miller would have a word for what happened there. That's It's, it's, um, you know... Yep. You know, you, you've got to get, I mean, she chunked a chip shot. Um, you know, we're not talking about she had to make birdies coming down the stretch. She needed pars. And the 18th hole is like 350 yards. Right. You know, she, it's she not had like it's a, She had a 100-yard approach shot. Coming yeah, in. right. She, she, she should knock that wedge on the green and easily two-putt. She, she should have had a birdie putt to win. You know, and so 
look, she's she's been dealing with some stuff. She only has won one major. Um, you know, she's talked about this. Uh, she she tried to maintain this really good attitude during the week, and uh, I, I think that served her well to that point. Uh, but yeah, that's a tough one to get over, you know. To and then you know, obviously, the players that she was going up against weren't exactly seasoned right uh, veterans. You know, the the woman who won is 19 years old from mm. from the Philippines. You know, and and she was she was nervous too. Uh, so, but I mean, you know, the the thing is, is Lexi didn't even get into the playoffs, right? You know, so. Yeah, that one has to hurt, and, and, you know, look, she let it get away. There's no way around it. Hey, Bob, this is always great. I always appreciate your time, and uh, we'll talk again soon. And uh, will you be in Torrey next week? I, I will, yes. Looking forward to it. Awesome. Thanks, Bob. Always appreciate the time. Thank you.